He gets glory when he uses the weak, and uh, well, Lord willing, he'll do that today through me, but uh, I am an unpracticed and um, unskilled speaker. Uh, I don't talk much because usually when I open my mouth, I put my foot in it, uh, and I might do that today, so if you're a visitor, please, uh, uh, the staff here is wonderful. Josh and Pat gave me every opportunity to, to walk me through this and help me, and uh, give me tips. Allison was calling me after deadlines for the bulletin saying, hey, you sure you don't want to change, add things? And uh, so I've been given every opportunity, early earthly opportunity to, to succeed and uh, I just have to get out of God's way and uh, let his spirit uh, take over and uh, let's pray. Lord, I know that I am unfit, I'm unworthy uh, humanly, Lord, to, to even read your word and I just pray that you would use this time, uh, that you would give my words clarity, that I would be out of the way, Lord, because um, no one wants to hear anything I have to say, Lord. We need to hear from you, and I um, just pray that you would do that this morning. Amen. So, in our Meals with Jesus, um, this passage is from Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. In your pew Bibles, that's page 876. And I'm going to read this whole passage, and then we'll uh, go through it and see what we can learn from it. Starting at verse 20 of chapter 17 in Luke. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of Son of Man. You will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes in the and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, and marrying, and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. Likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So this is, um, for me, was a very intimidating passage. Uh, but um, I should have no uh, lack of material to talk about. But beginning at verse 20, uh, we see the Pharisees are asking a question, uh, and they want to know, so when's this kingdom of God going to come? And it's actually a fair question. Jesus has been preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. So uh, they're certainly not his supporters, but I guess it's not wrong to ask, so um, when is the kingdom of God coming? The problem they have is um, they're looking at it from a physical point. 
Um, they're looking for what? This kingdom. But the true kingdom is all about a who. <laughs> and the who that they're talking to is the who it is, right? They're looking right at them, and they don't see it. So the first thing to learn is um, if you don't know who Jesus is, you're not going to see the kingdom coming until it's, it's too late. 1 Corinthians 2.4 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to them. And he's not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the Pharisees were well-educated in the Old Testament, right? All the scriptures. They knew it. Um, I believe they may even had to memorize the whole uh, Torah, which would be the first five books. I'm not positive on that, but they knew it inside and out. But they were natural Spiritually dead men and a purely physical people could not understand, they could not see the truth of God's word. Because as Paul said, it is spiritually discerned. So as purely physical people, they were looking for a physical kingdom and that is coming. We know that from the Bible. Um, but they were looking for him to kick out the Romans and to rule like... Uh, and there were many passages, um, and they were looking for the Jewish nation, and not to mention themselves, to be exalted through the coming of the Messiah. Uh, passages like Isaiah 9:6, which says, "For us a child is born; to us a son is given." Thinking of themselves, right, or as the as Jews as a nation, which is true. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. So this and all those other prophecies of the coming kingdom are true, but um, he wasn't going to destroy the Romans at this time. Uh, Jesus had much more important and powerful enemies to defeat than the Roman army. Uh, this conversation takes place in Luke just as Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem for that final time, before his crucifixion, he's going to go and defeat sin. He's going to defeat death. And God always focuses on the spiritual more than the physical. Because the spiritual is what lasts. The physical is temporary. Um, we also had Jesus' works, right? He was going to be greater than David. Uh, where is it recorded in the Old Testament that I know of that David ever healed a leper or ever restored the sight of a blind or cast out a demon? Jesus is exercising powers far greater than David ever exercised. David was a great king. He was a man after God's own heart. But, uh, and his physical, his physical reign of his kingdom is coming. Jesus is going to reign as king and ruler, but only after Jesus defeated the big enemies, the important enemies, death, sin, and the like. So, the one thing that is important is Jesus never seemed to leave out the Pharisees or ignore them. He was always willing to interact with them and talk to them and attempt to teach them. And I think we can learn from that that you know, we need to keep proclaiming God's word and this good news to unbelievers uh, whether they're going to respond or not, to not give up, not give up hope. That's why God has left us here, to proclaim the good news. 
and to warn people of what's coming. So now Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 22, and he has something very different to say to them. Um, they're his followers. They believe in him. They know who he is. So uh, the circumstances are different. So in verse 22 of Luke 17, I'm going to read it. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. So I'm going to say amen to that. Uh, it seems to me that he's talking about the second coming, that as Christians or as believers, um, we do long for that second coming. And um, I'm also ashamed to admit that I have a really easy, a good life. Um, I have a wonderful wife, great kids, um, and I haven't had a whole lot of trials lately um, to suffer under, as many of you have. Uh, but still, um, as the Bible says, our citizenship is in heaven, uh, Paul says in, in Philippians 3.2. And from it we await a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And um, as we're going to see in the next few verses, things are going to get really bad in the last days. Um, and it does appear that we may be living in these last days. And so I think every Christian does long for that coming. And uh, we just don't know when it's going to happen. God has not made that clear. So... Another question that comes up is, just because Jesus said it, does it make it true? Well, as, obviously as believers, those of us who are believers, um, we believe Jesus being God and God knowing everything. We can trust him, but um, God doesn't require a blind faith from us. Because um, he speaks as one outside of time. In Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says, For I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring from the, the end, from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet undone. And this verse, I see it as God declaring, I and I alone can predict the future. Now, people can make predictions, but they're not necessarily going to come true. God's the only one that knows the future. He knows every detail of it. And um, I think this is why Jesus goes into this next line, because uh, he's talking about the end times, right? How can we be sure of it? Well, Jesus is going to tell us what's going to happen in the near future. He's going to demonstrate his knowledge of the future to build our faith in, in the end that's coming. So in Luke chapter 17, verse 25, she says, But first he, referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus didn't arrange his own death. He didn't crucify himself. But before it ever happened, he told his disciples that he would suffer and be rejected, and he was. And these words are true. That's a basis to put our faith on that the rest of what he's about to say is going to come true as well. So what are these end days going to be like? Uh, Luke 17, 26. It says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating 
and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So I want to turn to Noah's story in uh, Genesis 6 and 7. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. I'm just going to highlight a few verses that spoke to me about maybe what's going to be the end times will be like or how we should be prepared. Um, Genesis chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says this, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God has a plan. Um, but Noah found favor. And uh, we have found God's favor, not by uh, our own works of righteousness, but as believers, we have we found God's favor. And so, just he's going to tell Noah his plan, he's told us his plan as well, right? Verse 9, I just want to make sure that Noah walked with God. So Noah is walking with God, he's obedient. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I am determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. So now, clearly, God's plan has been told to Noah. At least, maybe not the details, but he knows he's going to make an end of the world. And then in verse 7, he gives him some more details. Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And then he gives him the plans for building the ark. He gives him his plan for Noah's preservation, right? Just as he's done with us. Um, and Noah builds an ark. But we have Christ. Christ is that ark. And, and uh, that is our salvation from the destruction to come. Verse 27. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Um, then verse 5 of the following verse, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He built the ark. Now he's bringing all the animals. He's doing everything God said. Finally, uh, verse 16. All those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The ark was closed when God shut it. I don't think Noah could have opened that door if he wanted to, uh, and God's timing, when his judgment came, he closed the door. It's over. It's done. Uh, and it's the same with us even today. You know, today is the day of salvation. Um, you don't know when your end is coming. Uh, so I think that's a good picture uh, of the salvation story. Uh. So, but the question is, did the other people on the earth at that time know that the flood was coming? All we know is Noah did spend over 100 years building the ark. Um, so that should have raised a few questions. I imagine the people around, how far the word would have spread, we don't know. But his grandfather Enoch, we're told in the book of Jude, was a prophet. And Enoch named his son, he was, he was Noah's grandfather. Great-grandfather. Uh, yeah, Methuselah, Enoch's son, was his grandfather. Methuselah... His name means, his death shall bring. And uh, that was a prophecy. And if you do the math on he lived so many years, they lived so many years, the very year, and I would argue to the very day, but all we can say from scriptures to the very year that Methuselah died is the same year 
the flood came upon the earth. So there was the witness of that. But also in 2 Peter 2.5, Peter says in the Spirit, If he, being God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness. So I do believe that Noah was um, spreading God's truth, was telling people, listen, there's a flood coming. You need to get in this ark. Uh, whether he did it verbally or through his actions, we don't know, but clearly he was a herald of righteousness. And so um, the people had no excuse. Uh, and it's amazing that after 100 years of building this ark, um, the only people that actually got in it was his family. And that's tragic. But Noah preached, or heralded, whichever way you want to look at it, um, for those hundred years, and uh, he left the results to God. And I can't explain why the results were what they were, but God has his reasons. I trust him. Anyways... <laughs> told you this is going to be a rough sermon. <laughs> Man. I hope I'm making some sense at all. So now I'm going to go back to Luke. We're going to continue in Luke. Uh, in verse 28. Uh, now we're on to Lot. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So the story of Lot is in Genesis 19. Uh, and once again, I'm just going to pick out a few highlights um, of what I think would seem to me to be applicable to the last days, or interesting anyways. And uh, it's important that 19 happens right after 18 when Abraham is kind of bargaining with God. God told him, told him that he's going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham says, what if there's 50 righteous, 40, 30? He gets all the way down to 10, and God says, if there's 10 righteous in the city, I won't destroy it. He bargained with Abraham. Uh, what Abraham didn't know was that God was going to do 10 better than that, and he wasn't going to destroy the city with one righteous man in it. And uh, we'll see that in this story. Anyways, verse 3 of chapter 19. Uh, so the angels uh, are in Sodom. They're planning to spend the night on the open square, he, and, and uh, Lot comes upon them, and he pressed them strongly, the angels, so that they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So here, even Lot's having a little bit of a feast, right? Lot prepared the feast for these angels. So the angels had planned on spending the night in the open city, but Lot knew it wasn't safe. Okay, Lot knew that... <laughs> You can't stay out here. And he talked them into coming to his house. Next verse, verse 4. But before they lay down, so I'm not sure what time of day they showed up, but less than one day, right? Probably could be as little as three or four hours. Before they lay down, before night, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. So news was traveling fast in the city. And every single man, a male, adult, it appears to, was outside the house, 
Um, we'll continue we'll verse 7 through 9. I'm going to skip a little through 9. Uh, just It's kind of graphic. Anyways, Lot said, Lot addresses the men surrounding his house. I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. I'm skipping a little bit ahead on nine. Do nothing to these men. for They have come on here under the shelter of my roof. But they, the men, said to Lot, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. So, wow. Thanks. We think things are bad here. Uh, and I think they're going to get worse. Um, Lot had the nerve, the audacity, to call rape wicked. And um, he didn't even appeal to God's moral law. He appealed to their own customs of hospitality, right? And uh, let me see. He, he said to them, they have come into the shelter of my roof. These are their own rules of hospitality. He's appealing to those rules, not even to God's moral law. And uh, how do they respond? Um, you know, they call him uh, a judgmental outsider, right? A sojourner, come here to be our judge. Oh, Lord, please come. Uh, so it's obvious the city is, is ripe for judgment. Uh, anyways, continue on to verse 12 through 14. The men, which are the angels, said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in this city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry of its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So here we go. Just like Noah, his plan is being revealed. This is what's going to happen. And then what else do they want him to do? Hey, tell people. <laughs> the city's going to be destroyed. Put the word out. Now they, they mention his own family. Um, but I'm sure the word could have easily spread um, beyond that. But it appears, you know, even those who heard didn't respond because it says, um, verse 14, but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They didn't believe him. They wouldn't listen. So, verse 17, they're given specific commands. And Lot doesn't even obey these commands. He argues them. He, he wants to, they want him to go to the mountains. He's like, let me just go to this little itty-bitty city over here. And God extends grace to them, and he permits it. Then the angels say something very interesting in verse 22. They say, escape there quickly, and allow him to go to this little city, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. So it seems that God's plan was better than what Abraham had bargained. Not one righteous man will perish in this city. And in this case, instead of preserving him as he preserved Noah, through the tribulation or through the judgment. In this case, Lot is removed. He's gone. He's not there when the judgment happens. So that's why we're, we're here right now. We're here for unbelievers. And we need to be proclaiming the way of salvation and, and watch God save uh, who he saves. So, looking at both these scenarios with, with Noah and Lot, there is a huge difference 
and the fate of the righteous versus the fate of the unrighteous. But was it based exclusively on their deeds or what they did? Now, obviously, uh, some of the deeds are extreme. We mentioned the times of Noah were violence. But as far as the meals where they're eating and drinking, uh, and lots of time they're selling and buying, planting and sowing, uh, it wasn't because of that. It wasn't because of these meals that judgment came. Um, that's what we do the same things. Um, the difference is a faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what makes the ultimate difference. Now, Noah, Lot, the Old Testament saints, they didn't name the name of Jesus per se. They were saved, but they were saved by grace through faith, just as we are. But their faith in, was in God to somehow, some way, that they didn't quite understand or know, was that God would come and God would provide for their salvation. And uh, the details weren't spelled out, but the plan was knowable from the Old Testament. There is the scarlet thread that's woven all through the, the Old Testament. And it started at the fall in Genesis 3.15, uh, right after um, Adam and Eve sinned. God says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So... Right there, God revealed his plan that Noah and Lot could well have known about. Right? That God revealed that a man, a human, right, was going to, is the offspring of the woman, was going to crush the head of the serpent. And then the thread continues. I mean, there's hundreds of stories or applications you could use. Um, the ark, the covenant with Abraham, the Passover lamb. Uh, Jonah's last words in the belly of the fish were salvation belongs to the Lord. And the very next verse, he's spit out on dry ground. The Old Testament saints knew that God was going to save them. And, um, and Noah and Lot were good examples of that. But <laughs> just as a lot of the details were veiled as far as um, how they were to be saved, as far as a man named Jesus coming and dying on a cross. Um, to us, a lot of the end time um, details are veiled. We know who. We know a lot of the what. Uh, we definitely don't know when. Um, so that brings us back to verse 30 and 33, or through 33 in Luke 17. So uh, Jesus continues on to his disciples. So it will be when the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. So, and that's, spiritually, that's for us even now today, whether Jesus is coming or not, Right? We're supposed to die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Um, but in that generation, um, they're going to suffer some effects of the judgment of God, right? Uh, Noah knew the flood was coming, but there's no amount of flood insurance he could purchase to restore his stuff after the flood. Uh, Lot couldn't carry any of his furniture with him. He had to get out of town and start over. Um, 
and the generation that's here on the earth, the righteous, when uh, Jesus returns, um, you almost have to act. You almost have to act counterintuitive, right? You're not going to seek your things. You're going to just have to go to Jesus, go to God, and uh, obey Him. As, like I said, like same as we have to do today. All right, continuing on, verse 34 to 36. Jesus says this, I tell you, that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There'll be two grinding together. One will be taken, the other will be left. Now, people, some people see this as the person being taken, being taken to judgment. Other people see it as the person being taken in the rapture, when the church is called up uh, to meet Jesus in the air. Uh, as outlined in, I think it's Corinthians 15. Um, but there's no way to really know for sure. Um, but one thing that is clear, um, there's going to be a distinction, a strong distinction made between believers and unbelievers. And um, we're here to let them know, as believers, we need to let people know that this judgment is coming. It's also important to notice that in these two situations that Jesus brings up, these people were close. Um, one set were sharing the same bed. The other people were sharing the same food or at least working together. They were intimately involved in each other's lives, and still, there was this great divide between them. And as believers, there's nothing we can do about that. We can't make someone else believe. All we can do is share the truth. And... Um, we want to be sure that we are doing that and uh, being faithful to God and obeying all that he commanded. And that's, that was his command, right? Go into all the nations and make disciples. So I'm out of time. Uh, there was that one verse about the vultures. Um, and, you know, I've heard that it was a common saying back at that time that meant wherever there's sin, judgment is right at hand. Um, Unfortunately, uh, it's not clear to me. I'm sure when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, how did I miss it? <laughs> but anyways, um, we'll cut short there, and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this opportunity. I thank you for Josh and Pat and um, Wendy and, and Allison. I'm sure this week was harder on them than if they had just... if. Uh, Joshua Pat had written their own sermon and submitted everything to the bulletin on time, and uh, but Lord, they were able, they were willing to uh, not only spend extra time helping me, but also uh, to make their work schedule more hectic this week. And I just thank you for them. I just pray that you would uh, pour out your spirit upon this congregation, Lord, that you would use these words somehow uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.